All of us are on a complicated journey of faith, pursuing truth and deeper knowledge of God. But how do we know we're doing it right? Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing, and it can be a painful and difficult journey, and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and one of my best friends, Marty Frederick, and I have agreed to join each other in creating exactly that kind of space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to look honestly at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today and to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We believe that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but perhaps one of its greatest allies. We think that the Christian life is more about asking the right questions than it is about finding the answers. And we believe we are being called to continually ask those questions, renewing our minds and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Patterson. And with me today is my good friend, Marty Frederick. Marty, I feel like I haven't seen you in like a year, dude. Yeah, it's weird. We talked to each other like not even an hour ago. Um, (laughs) This is this is podcast recording number two on this day, which is awesome. They've been our first was awesome. I have no doubt that this next one will be awesome as well. So. Yeah, I agree. We're just we're just knocking them out today, you know. Two yeah. two in one day is not normal for us, but this actually I think surprisingly the kind of the conversations tie in nicely to each other. They almost will overlap, yeah. so I think it'll work well. Yeah, and to be honest, like Josh, I don't have much banter. Uh, like normally we have like banter to talk about, but I think I used all my banter in our last one. Yeah, um, where you made fun of me and told people lies. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> that's um, a good one. Yeah. Well. Um, Josh, if it's okay, I want to introduce our guest. Yeah, uh, our guest, our guest today is uh, Scott Erickson. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm peachy. Thank you very much. <laughs> good. I'm doing good. Uh, we um, we have a question that we ask all of our guests. Uh, it's it's not a serious question, but it kind of is. Um, uh, Scott, who is your favorite ice hockey team? <sighs> I mean. It's so bad. I don't have one. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I've been to like some minor league teams where I grew up. The uh, the Everett, uh, what are they called? This, the, it's so long ago. Shoot, I feel so bad. I mean, I'm going to have to go with like uh, the, the uh, what's Calgary's team? The Flames, Calgary the Flames. Flames. Yeah, just because I just because I got friends in Calgary who are really into them. So there we go. Let's do that. Great. Or Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> I have friends in Pittsburgh who love the Penguins so much. So yeah, well, I I like your first answer, but I'm a Washington Capitals fan, and that's like the arch nemesis of the uh, Penguins. So okay, okay, we'll we'll scratch that one and pretend you didn't say it, and then we'll just go with Calgary. You know, it's so <laughs> it. I feel uh, I I feel like I let you guys down. I played a year of hockey when I was like nine years old. And then, uh, and then, I, then it was like the next year was like traveling and stuff. And my parents are like, no, do something else. And, uh, so, uh, that's, that was kind of my stint with professional playing hockey. And then, and I, I grew like- up in, I grew up in the Northwest. So we had, uh, I mean, we had the Seattle Thunderbirds, but they're not, they're not in the same hockey league. Right. 
No. As, right, so. right. No, no. Yeah. So, so I, just well, grew, you, you, I just grew up void of like national hockey. Yeah. It's all right. You 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 join you join a stellar cast of like eighty percent of our of our <laughs> guests that we've had on that that you have the same answer. Like I don't really have one, oh, uh, including man. including the likes of like N.T. Wright. Like <laughs> like just was like I don't I don't really know. Oh so. man, wouldn't it be the comedy of the century if N.T. Wright just like hardcore went on like hockey stats and just like knew everything? He's like, <laughs> you guys, I didn't. That's my pe- personal passion is hockey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Uh, man. Well, uh, Scott, thank you again so much for your time and for coming on today. Uh, just for people who aren't really familiar with you, could you give us a little bit of a, a background? Like, who are you? Uh, what do you do? Maybe a little bit about your, uh, your faith upbringing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, currently I am a man at home a lot and I make, <laughs> I'm a, professional artist and author and performing artist. Uh, I'm married. I've got three kids. I live in Austin, Texas, uh, which is still warm this time of year. Um, I, yeah, I'm here with you all because I had a book come out and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle area, north of Seattle on the ocean is where I grew up and um, grew up going to a Lutheran church, um, have kind of always been involved with church. I've had some more like ecumenical ties. Like I've gone to a Presbyterian church, a Baptist church, non-denominational. And I I'm like kind of an ecumenical mutt where I've just been like, what, what works really well. Um, and, uh, have had times of, yeah, I don't know. have been a vocational minister, uh, have worked in college ministry, youth ministry, um, lots of different things. And right now I'm a, I'm a spiritual director and uh, just kind of do spiritual direction with people on the internets and, and some brave women and men here in the Austin area. So that's, awesome. that's a little snippet of my life. <laughs> we just sum, summed up four decades in two minutes. <laughs> Perfect. And Scott, I actually I, lived I, in Oak Harbor, Washington for oh, like two years. Yeah. So, nice, uh, nice. I'm familiar with the, uh, with the Northern Suburbs of Seattle. So. There you go. There we <laughs> yeah, go. Do you by any chance know our buddy uh, Dan Coke out in that area? Dan Coke. He has a podcast called You Have Permission. Um, no, you might I don't not. think I do. No, cool. I wish I did because he sounds like a party. <laughs> oh, he's dope. Yeah. yeah, he's awesome. His his show's definitely worth uh, checking out. Cool. Um, but it's cool that you're a spiritual director, man. I didn't know that. Um, I mean, I kind of, I got some like spiritual directory kind of vibes uh, in your book, just because that when you're a spiritual director, that just flows out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's actually pretty cool because I'm an aspiring spiritual director. That's oh, you are. something I'm working towards. Yeah. Great. So that'd be cool. But um, yeah, so our show is called Rethinking Faith. Mm-hmm. And so look, a question that we also like to ask just to get a little bit more background on you is what is like one of the most important things that you personally had to rethink in your faith, or maybe the thing that made the biggest impact on you uh, through rethinking? Hmm. I, I would say over the last uh, eight, nine years, I mean, pretty typical male mid thirties kind of, you know, switching over. I, I, I realized my like my spiritual practices, they weren't working anymore. And spiritual practices means just like the way that I thought and interacted in the world based on kind of my ideas, uh, because I had had a number of experiences that just the, the things that I, I framed everything as just like, didn't begin to work any, they stopped working. A lot of that was because, um, 
I've had a number of friends die at young ages. And uh, as you get older, you go, <laughs> you, you feel it in your body, but also you're just like, oh, I'm going to die one day. But when you're younger, you're like, I'm going to live forever. Nothing can kill me. And that's yeah. why we do so many skateboard jumps. But uh, we, yeah, I, I've had an, a few friends die of cancer. And um, I realized that a lot of the faith tradition I grew up in, ha- the, the predominant conversation was about afterlife and had kind of lost it didn't quite know what to do with this life. It was just like, well, this life is crazy, but we can't wait till afterlife. And that'll, you know, that's when it all makes sense. And uh, quite honestly, I was like, there's really no evidence at all about afterlife. I mean, I hope so, but I, if I'm really honest, I don't know. And I have to live with that. I don't know. And, uh, it's so, but I was like, wow, it feels, it felt like the, the faith tradition I grew up in or was a part of, uh, was just distracting itself from that. I don't know. And I, and I was like, actually, couldn't we incorporate this like thing that happens to everybody, which is dying as part of a spiritual, like part of our spiritual conversation, part of our spiritual formation. And then like a lot of people my age at this time, uh, I discovered Richard Rohr and at least I, and what he helped me, he's, he introduced me into Franciscan thought, which he summed up as this, which is uh, the, the doorway to the spiritual world is through the physical world. The physical world is the doorway to the spiritual world. And the spiritual world is much, much larger. In fact, you guys uh, listening can't see but on the video, I have a tattoo of this whole idea, St. Francis and then the doorway. And um, yeah, what that what it did for me was to go, oh, there is this larger reality that we would call the spiritual realm. But that's not accessible except through this one. So this world, this physicality, this embodiment matters because this is the doorway to understand this larger thing. And that framework, because the difference was I was given a framework that said, we just can't wait to bypass this physicality. It doesn't matter. Let's get to the spiritual. And this is going, no, these are intermeshed. They can't, they can't exist without each other. And, and, and my question was like, does Jesus have some, uh, you know, does my spirituality, does my religion, does my spiritual practice have anything to say about this life? And then it turns out Jesus has tons to say about it. Mm -hmm. And so that, um, that was like a main shift for me. And I would also say in that was probably another shift that happened, which is uh, the idea that, um, that uh, how would I say God is uh, spiritual, like spirituality is not getting God's attention. Spirituality is awakening to the work and voice of God already in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, That essentially is what prayer is. Prayer again is not getting God's attention, not, pots and pans, like, Hey, are you listening? Prayer is awakening to that. God's already there. And, uh, that has dramatically changed how I view everything. Um, because you know, the old models were like, we got to go over to this country and tell all these people who God is. Uh, because in that scenario, it says I own this thing and then I have to bring it. But if you come, if you do go to another country and you go to the place of like, I wonder where God's already at work here. Then you're joining God, you know, this sovereign deity, the sovereign divine, sovereign mystery, uh, where it's already working in that place. And that's a much different attitude and position 
to engage life in. And kind of those are the two main things that really switched for me and make it a lot easier. <laughs> no, I mean, more mysterious, but yeah, they, yeah. they, they helped me with a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, man, you're speaking our language. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're oh, great. right there with, yeah, you're, you're. It would be a weird right. podcast if you're like, we disagree, but let's keep yeah. going. <laughs> no, yeah, let's just, let's just move on to your book because we don't agree with anything you just said. No, um, um, that's, yeah, that's great. St. Saint, Saint Francis is by far my favorite. Your tattoo is freaking awesome, by the way. Thank you. That's sick. I didn't know you had that. That's, yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> it's actually a combination of St. Francis and Steve Zizou, uh, played by Bill Murray in the movie The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. So okay. It's St. Francis of Zizou <laughs> because he's doing the famous point, Steve Zizou point, and he's pointing to that doorway. Yes. Uh, and also a line in that movie is, uh, he says, this is an adventure like this, mm. this is an adventure. And, yeah. and, and so I actually got to hang with Richard Rohr a little bit and I, I showed him this tattoo. I don't think he got it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, Oh, he didn't seem very enthusiastic about it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Well, yeah. So <laughs> Scott, you wrote a, you wrote a book, uh, an advent devotional called honest advent awakening to the wonder of God with us then here and now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was telling you before, I I'm typically a Thanksgiving day happens and then it's over. Okay. Now we can enter Christmas time season yeah. and Advent time kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really excited to read this book. Uh, and as I just read through it and so much about it impacted me, like me sitting in my car on my lunch break, reading a chapter or two, um, and just like going back into work, just feeling invigorated <laughs> and just oh, so full fantastic. of the spirit. Um, like feeling like I could enter into life with people at work in a different way, just yeah. because of the things that you put in here. Um, yeah. But can you tell us a little bit, like, why did you write this book? Who's, who's this book for? Um, this book is for all of us who found ourselves just like the spark of wonder went away to one of the best seasons of the year. I'm a big fan of Christmas. I love Christmas time. I love, um, some people, I don't know if they find this wording clunky, but I love the brand of Christmas. Like there's a definite brand of Christmas that I don't, I think we just go, well, that's what Christmas is. But you're like, you know, a lot of the world isn't in winter time, uh, during Christmas, (laughs) during this time of year. Um, so there's this definitely like brand of Christmas. I'm, I'm one of those nerds who puts on like the radio station. That's 24 hour Christmas music when they, that starts up. I like all that stuff, but I uh, found myself at a time, not too different than where we are now. It was four years ago. It was the end of a long and exhausting American presidential race. Uh, we had seen, we were seeing images of Syria that were devastating and lots of people displaced. There was Flint water crisis, Zika, uh, multiple multiple mass shootings in the United States. And uh, I I remember walking into a store, I think it was a Target, and just, you know, it was mid-November and, oh, everything had been decorated as Christmas because there's every year there's this like dusting of, you know, Christmas decorations that fall on Western society. And it was that year I just, I remember going, this feels completely irrelevant to the world I find myself in. Like, not even like the Santa story. Like, I'm fine with the Santa story. I just, I feel like there's a bit much. Like, when you go on Netflix, you're like, 
how many Santa movies are there and yeah. how much technology do they have in the North pole? And should we use some of that? Cause they're like, <laughs> they have a lot. Um, but also even like the, the imagery and the, the brand that was in the Christianity that I've been a part of, like it all felt very sanitized and safe. And it, it felt like it wasn't anything human. Actually, it felt like it was a story that didn't have anything to do with humanity. And uh, I, yeah. So at the time, my, my deep prayer was just like, where is, it started as like, well, why do we celebrate this? Because is it a memorial service or is it a birthday party? A memorial service means that it happened long ago and wasn't that interesting. A birthday party means it's still going on today. And if you go to any Sunday school and ask kids, what's Christmas? They'll go, it's Jesus's birthday. So it implies that we think that it's still happening. Christ is still coming into our midst. And so then at that time, I was like, where are you in our midst? And uh, I'm not a woman, but I'm married to one. And I've witnessed three pregnancies and births up close. And as I, and I, we were pregnant with our, our third. And I just was like, you know, pregnancy is not, it's beautiful and wonderful and transformational, but it's painful. And it's, uh, it's, it's, risky and complicated and it's got a lot of fluids involved with it and i was like it's anything but sanitized and safe it's actually very vulnerable and and what hit me was like christ god incarnated just like we do which is through human vulnerability and so maybe where we find christ in our midst still is in that same space in that human vulnerability so what are all these vulnerabilities of of being a human, of being incarnated, meaning incarnated, meaning like appearing, uh, you know, coming into the world, like all of a sudden being here. Cause that's, what's weird about a birth is like, you understand what's happening. You also don't understand what's happening. <laughs> like, you know, we've all probably had biology class and we could, we could tell you like what, what's happening, like how a baby is growing and then it's coming out of a birth canal. But if you've been able to witness a birth, and you could just go on YouTube and watch it if you want. But there's something physically about it where this child comes out and it it's like an inaudible lightning bolt. Like it just is like a snap or a crack or a breaking. And it every time I've seen one of my kids come out, I've just burst into tears. Like I it's and I'm like, I know what's happening, but I also don't know what's happening. And I think that's the paradox of an enchanted world that fills up with, fills us with wonder. And so I wanted to kind of uh, meditate on that, that breaking of that vulnerability of incarnation and focus on Jesus, but also like it, one of my, one of my teaching muses is we don't tell these old stories. Like the only reason we tell these old stories is because they're still happening today. That's the only reason we talk about this stuff still. Because if these stories had nothing to do about life now, we would they would just fall away. But all these stories in our, our sacred texts and, and many other religions and their sacred texts, the reason we keep bringing them up is because they have something to say about what's happening right now. And I think that Christ is still incarnating in our lives today. Um, and that's what this book is a meditation on. Yeah, and if I can add one more thing, it's not even like, uh, like our... Uh, one of uh, one of the best Canadians, Dr. Hillary McBride, she endorsed this book too, but she also, she's like, this isn't really a Christmas book. This is like a book about human life. 
and it's she's exactly right. It's 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 just a book about being human, and but looking at the the you know using the nativity story as kind of like the filter to unpack that kind of human experience. Yeah. Yeah. So good, man. And that that essence comes through so perfectly. Um, not only in, in your writing, but also in like the uh, the imagery that um, accompanies the book. And we'll we'll talk a little bit more um, about the artwork um, in a minute. But just uh, for people who don't know, uh, because I know that's a reality. Um, what the heck is Advent anyway? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you wrote a book called Honest Advent. And for those yeah. who don't know, what what is Advent? Yeah, Advent. Um, it just in Latin it means coming, and so it is a. Uh, liturgical season, meaning uh, like something we give a framework to. So it's these four Sundays before Christmas. And it's, and it's just meant to go, hey, like as in pregnancy, there's this time of like growing and expectedness. And then there's this birth. And so we could, let's give ourselves that same kind of framework of expectedness. And then on Christmas day, we have this birth. I, I will say for me, that has become that it always it fell flat you know because like i get the liturgical sense like and then jesus and then we get together christmas eve or christmas day and it's like and he's here and and we're like where <laughs> you know like there's there's no there's there's really not like a physicality of like to actually experience it always feels like we're just kind of playing these mental and emotional games games like i got to i got to wait i got to wait there's this coming and then the day comes i'm like and where is he you know, and so uh, for me, I didn't grow up in a, like Advent wasn't really a part of like kind of my tradition. It's become more so maybe in the last 10 years, but this, these, these things were also to be like, well, what is, uh, what does arrival or anticipation, what could that look like? Uh, you know, for one, and I don't really, I don't think this is in the book, but I've just been you know, obviously talking about this a lot for promotional reasons, but I do think like one of the reasons like why we should do Advent is to contemplate that like the start of God being in our midst, the start of that conversation was God going, I'm going to need to have you, I need you to take care of me for a really long time. You know what I'm saying? Like the divine enters in absolute weakness and relies upon us or relies upon adults, other humans to go, I need you to take care of me for years, years. So the start of like God being with us looks like God releasing all control of the conversation. And that, and what kind of God can we learn from that? You know, what kind of God would do something like that? What does that mean for us now? You know, those are the kind of conversation. That's the kind of wonder that then can start to grow in us. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. And so as, as you read this book and those of you that are listening, you should definitely buy it. Like no mm -hmm. questions asked. Um, like yeah. you should buy it and you should live into every word that is said in the introduction of the book because it, it informs so much of reading the book uh, and we'll get to it. We're almost there. I promise. But um, so Scott, you're an artist. Yeah. Um, and I just, I'm just curious, like what role, has your work as an artist played in your faith journey? Like how is it informed into that for you? Uh, which to me is it's encapsulated in the artwork that's in this book. Um, yeah. Like I can see some of that. So how has that informed everything all together with that? 
Well, uh, visual or the creating is part of, is the, uh, like way in which I like learn or contemplate or understand something. So, um, and I could nerd out on this and it's, it's maybe easier with a visual. So all of you listening, imagine if we will, but like our words are rooted in imagery. So when we are speaking to one another, we're trying to communicate what we're seeing visually internally or externally. So we, you know, when we say like he was running, we're talking about a person, he, a moment in time was running an activity. So we're describing this thing. But when I say like, I am sad, or I am scared about the situation. You know, I'm describing like some kind, something interior, but these interior images, like so, uh, like me, and then there's this, you know, like like we, and I'm sad about the situation or nervous about the situation. I'm I have an internal image of what I think that's going to look like. So all that to say is like our words are rooted in imagery. Now our beliefs are rooted in words, which is our sacred texts, which are rooted in imagery. So this happened, and start, I started understanding this a while ago, which was like, oh, actually, like uh, when people talk about God, that word is a word we all use, but we all have internal images of what we think that means. And where we get caught up a lot is that we go, you know, like, do you think this about God? Do you think this about God? And we could be describing the same things, but we're just using different words. And uh, so what, so the, I hope you understand at least where I'm going, where it goes for this is like, uh, I think that we have these internal images working on our words all the time. And so to really like adjust or see things in a new way, what we need is different internal images to replace the ones that we have working against us. Like when somebody says they don't believe in God anymore, I don't think that what they stopped believing in was the words. I think what they stopped believing in is the internal image of God. You say, what God don't you believe anymore in anymore? And they'll tell you, they'll describe this God. You know, they'll use imagery like, well, God who does this, a God who does that. And it's like, it's not the word they don't believe. It's the image they don't believe anymore. So in order to like come at this whole story from a different way, I knew I needed to come up with a whole different visual vocabulary that bypassed this massive brand of Christmas that I've come to know. I needed to disassociate, even though I like a lot of it, I needed to like cut ties and stop rooting all the words I had for Advent and Christmas in, in these old images and give myself new images to see it all differently. Does that make sense? Do I, is, are you guys tracking with me? Yeah. 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 Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It makes total sense. And I, I mean, I love just the idea. Um, I mean, you're talking about these, you know, different images we have and interesting enough, we uh, talked with uh, Jonathan about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's similar like to what you're describing is similar to this idea of like a lot of times uh, we end up putting God in a box and often what needs to happen is we need to die to that image of God and allow our boxes to be shattered yeah. So that what God is actually like can kind of emerge. And that's a process that'll happen over and over and over and over again mm-hmm. um, as we grow and, and, you know, in spiritual maturity and things like that. So it, I mean, it connects with me um, yeah. very much. So I think it's a kind of a, a similar concept. Yeah. 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 So, and that, and just because I'm a visually oriented person, I mean, that's my partic- that has been my particular pursuit for, almost a couple decades now in, in like my working out of my faith, it's always like creating a visual 
uh, a, a visual translation alongside of that. And actually like more in like a kind of what am I doing with my life? That's part of the work I'm trying to do is, is give a visual vocabulary to people's spiritual journeys to give them like companions along the way to go, you know, and like describe something like, yeah, I have the same experience. That's so helpful to see it this way. Um, I, I, I'm very humbled and honored by this, but I get e emails every week uh, from people just going, you know, and this is, you know, I, I make things in a room all by myself, but when people go, Hey, I bought this piece of art and it hung on my wall for a year. And that was that being able to look at that, like kind of save my faith or it gave me a place to like tie a, a, a line of hope to and get me through this hard situation. And, you know, just like a song can do, or just like a great piece of poetry or, you know, you know, like we, we find these things that, that like become just like a foothold for us to hold on to um, during doubtful or unseen times. And, and uh, yeah, so the, I, I was like, I want to try to help people with their visual, or their, sorry, with their spiritual journeys by giving them a, um, a visual vocabulary for what's going on with them. So that's, that's what I've been, that's what I try to do at least. <laughs> yeah, no, I, well, I think it, it works so well. It's so great. Like the, um, so many of the images in your book, I think did exactly that one that comes to mind for me immediately that like really stood out to me. And I think it's interesting that it's the one that stood out to me, but you, you have a picture of Mary and she's like super duper pregnant and mm -hmm. she's kind of like sitting like back like yeah. this, you know? Yeah. Um, but that image like did exactly what you're talking about for me. It, it broke the mold. Cause when I think Mary, I think of like, you know, lady in the manger with like the robes on and like, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. it, 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 it broke that kind of understanding and it, it brought forth the vulnerability because I was like, okay, I can understand that. And it, it just, um, I don't know. It, it did something different. Like that yeah. image spoke in such a way that was, um, different. And I know, uh, Marty has some, some things that, uh, he wanted to, to, to bring up about the artwork as well, but yeah, that one just for whatever reason, um, yeah, hit me in the feels or something. Yeah. <laughs> hit, hit you in the feels. Oh, yeah. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to kick you in your feels. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, so, I mean, right. to, to start talking about the artwork in the book specifically, because I think that's such an, a powerful aspect is I was reading the introduction. You, you say specifically to spend some time with the artwork at the beginning of each chapter mm -hmm. um, and to allow it to affect you. And I, and mm -hmm. I, at first I was thinking, you know, kind of like you see like in a movie or whatever, you're like those art snobs that go to the art museum and they say, huh, interesting. Yeah. I see this and this and this. And you're like, what are you talking about? I don't think any of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. then like, as you, but then I saw what you meant as, as mm. I started going through each chapter. And one of the ones um, that was actually really impactful, actually, even for my wife as well. Um, I have four children um, and I was present for all four of their, their births. Um, mm -hmm. So you're talking about the fluids and all that stuff. That was actually what struck me first was like, I did not expect all of this to happen. <laughs> Like yeah. this was all, all new to me. Um, the, the motherhood chapter. Yeah. And then you talk about uh, Mary and Eve by sister, Grace Remington. And mm -hmm. when I, I Googled that image before I finished the chapter and then I, and then I realized, Oh my gosh, I've seen this so many times. Uh -huh. And every time I've seen this, I've been impacted in the same way that you were, as you talked about. Um, yeah. And so I guess my, my question in all of that is like, 
how do these illustrations enhance the book? I mean, like there, there's an obvious answer, but, but I think there's even maybe a personal answer from you specifically as you wrote these chapters. Did you draw the images first and then write based off of that? Or did you write the chapters and then make the images based off of what you wrote or like, how do these things enhance everything that's within each chapter? Yeah. Well, so the first year, like four years ago, I made, I think I made like four or five images or maybe just three. And they were all real pregnancy ones. Like uh, I think it's one where you see Jesus in the womb, like upside down. Uh, Then one is like the woman on her knees holding Jesus, like with the blood on the ground. And then there's another one where like Jesus is literally coming out of a vagina. I think my publisher missed that one. I don't know if people look closely enough, but you're like, there's Jesus coming out of Mary's vagina. Uh, And though, because those were like, here's the birthing process. Here's this very like biological thing that happens. And I think those started as like, uh, knowing what I knew about birth and then trying to reflect on that. And then year after year, I started adding more. Um, and then I, I maybe went like to the idea of like, okay, um, who are the shepherds? You know, like I know all about ship. I've heard a lot about shepherds, but who are they? And like, what would that have been like? So then that, so then the writing from that was like, let's meditate on the shepherds. And then I, I have a lady who's like, in a staples out an elderly woman work elderly, like staples employee employee is like kind of who the shepherds are. It's like the person you just are like passing by every day and you don't expect anything significant from them. Uh, and that, so that I think the imagery came after that, you know, and that one actually came because I went to staples and I was helped by this elderly old woman. <laughs> I was like, Oh, yeah, it just it was like fresh in my mind, like, oh, yeah. Um, so it is this like mix. I mean, I, I think often it starts image heavy uh, and then I go into the thoughts about it. But then also like I'll pick a subject matter and then go, what would that look like? So it can be either or. The Sister Grace Remington one, and I described this in the book, it really hit me because I'd never. First of all, I was like, well, that's a really brilliant idea or imagination of these. Let's. Uh, like let's take them out as people. Cause often we, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, Mary, Eve could be a real person, but that doesn't seem what the text is really saying. You know, it's mostly like representing this. Yeah. Thank you. Thumbs up. <laughs> it's representing this, you know, this idea of these two humans and stuff like that. But, you know, in that I dance with like, okay, in this poem, she's representing all of these things, but also like, she's also representing it, like how really incredibly hard it is to just be a mom and to do something for like the first time. And like, we've, we've characterized Eve and then, and then just like diminished, like what it was saying about this whole process. And I don't know, like when I first saw that sister Grace Remington one, I've had, as I've, one of the hardest things about getting older is that you have uh, friends who lose their kids. And that is a really awful thing that happens in life. And I've had two friends have like stillborn babies. I've had friends like lose young children. And I've, you know, it's, it's like one out of four couples is going to have a miscarriage. So like when I saw these two matriarchs of faith meeting together, I was like, oh, there's two moms who both lost kids before they died. And that is a, a, 
a particular pain and conversation I don't know as a mom. I can know as a parent, but I haven't lived through it, but I can empathize. And I, I, that, that kind of led me, that painting is amazing. And I have, and I got permission from sister grace to use, to like cover it. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that just, and, and again, it's just like, see, this is a, this is a very human story. This is a story that's happening in the messiness of human lives and that particular vulnerability, like ch- childbearing is not risk-free. And I, I think that's, it's not, you know, there's no door in a woman's, you know, you don't just open it up and here's a baby and then close it back up. It's like, it's, it's, it costs something. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That just fills me with a lot of, it, it, it causes me to like pause and, and just, I don't have a conclusion. I, I wrote about this and I'm finding myself worthless. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those heavy things about human life. Yeah. 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 I, I think as, I think as I read each of these chapters, I, I found myself reflecting on being a parent, but trying to see it through my wife's eyes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because I think, I don't know if it's society in the United States or if it's the way things are, or if it's a habit or if it's just being, you know, not the, if it's being fallen and not being the the, the best husband and, and, and parent that you could possibly be. But I think oftentimes it's easier for a husband to step outside of that role for a little bit and go do something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I see my mom, my, my wife um, being a teacher and a mom and the person making dinner and cleaning up and, you know, going after messes and all those types of things that, you know, if I'm at work, I don't necessarily have to do that, but like, she doesn't get that time off. Yeah. Um, so I find myself, I found myself trying to read each chapter through her lens. And I think I felt more impacted because of that. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I also think that like it, it almost, this, this isn't really a question. It's just a reflection, but it, it, it found me, I found myself saying, well, man, I want to, I want to enter into that too. Like I, I want to have those experiences. I want to enter into what it means to be a mom, I yeah. guess, in that type of way, uh, in a better way than I have been. I'm missing that. Um, I don't know. So, so much of that, like, and it, I, I felt like my job as a parent, but more so my job as a, as a human being was enhanced as I was reading through each year. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm just appreciative of that. Um, it was helpful for me. That's good. Well, well, great. I mean, yeah. we are at a uh, at a loss um, at not knowing what it's life, not being very aware of that life comes out of us. Uh, uh, like uh, that uh, female biology is much more uh, a participant of. Like, I mean, we could probably do the mental gymnastics to go. Well, this seed came out of me and part, you know, met, and met, met with an egg and they made something. So there's a, uh, that also ties into like probably why in the old Testament, they're like, don't, you know, don't, if a woman grabs a guy's testicles and crushes it, cut off her hand. Cause there's just something like this, you know, back then in ancient society, it's like this, something in this seed makes babies, you know, they knew that. Uh, but like, uh, you, it's interesting to me. I think it's, I think as a, as a male, what we, what we miss out on is like uh, feeling what it must be like to like grow life in you and have it come out. And I wonder if like that kind of, 
experience would make you less likely to choose violence first as an option because you understand that everybody you meet also was a life that came out of another person. And so you're very aware of that connection of where life comes from, that it actually comes from us. And I, I think some of like, you know, some of the things that men have to do the work of empathy or really like trying to like reflect on that is to understand like that, that connection that all living humans have to other humans and stuff. And so I think women are just much more, if they, you know, they just have participated and experienced it. Um, and they, that's a lot of wisdom that they have to give to us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And like, even just the, just like thinking about and dwelling on the incarnation and what that means, um, which like your book just added a whole new layer to that for me. Like that has been a significant impact in my own faith walk journey, whatever mm -hmm. language you want to use to it. Cause like the incarnation's like freaking crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like what, what Christians affirm in the incarnation is mind blowing. Um, so yeah, I think, there's, there's so much to that. And I think what's super cool is um, I personally have, uh, you know, one of the biggest gifts uh, from the COVID season for me uh, has been the gift of mm. contemplation because there's always something I've been yeah. super interested in. Um, and like, I just never did yeah. it, but COVID I'm like, Oh, I have nothing else to do. So I might as well. <laughs> so then it's been wonderful. And so your, your images um, there's there's like this ancient practice called like uh, visio divina, I believe, mm -hmm. and, and your your artwork like helps draw us into these deeper levels of contemplation, especially because a lot of the times, at least for myself, trying to describe uh, the experiential knowledge that I have with God can be really difficult to put words to. It's almost like trying to describe a song to somebody. Yeah, like they're they're not going to get it until they hear the song. Yeah, and so the image is like lead us deeper into contemplation and kind of draws out some of the things that um, our language can't quite capture. And so I think yeah. that's so beautiful. Yeah. So like, have you, has like artwork been an aspect for you personally in your own contemplative uh, kind of journey? Like, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, I, the way that I would frame it for people uh, when they see visual artwork, I think a great question is what does this mean? That's a, that's a totally legit question. I think a better question is what is this pulling out of you? Because uh, one of the functions that artwork has, at least visual art, uh, is that it's an excavation tool. Like it, it is, um, it, it, what it's doing is it's, it's drawing to your deepest conversation or experience of life and it's helping you see that it's helping you get in touch with it and that's why like snooty people will stand around art and be like mm, yeah contemplate it because it's like it's pulling us it's it's excavating things out of us it's pulling things out of us um <laughs> in like another way my friend my friend johnny is really into scotch like so much like i'm i love scotch Scotch, Scotch, Scotch. Yeah, but Scotch, I, like, Scotch, Scotch. I love Scotch, Scotch. Scotch, I love Scotch. <laughs> but he like nerds out on it. Like I actually, I'm like, man, I need to like find something I really nerd out on. But we, he invited me to the Scotch tasting party. 
And the guy prefaced it by saying, instead of going, oh, I taste hints of this and this, he goes, you should say, this reminds me of, <laughs> and uh, my friend Jeremy and I, who weren't, who I love scotch, but not into scotch that much, like kept joking on the side about like, oh, this reminds me of how much pain I'm trying to cover up. You know, like that's what we kept like joking around about that stuff. But I think it's also like, it's a better question of like, instead of, oh, I taste this, it goes, this reminds me of, because often why we're, we're connected to food and drink is the taste, but it's also the nostalgia. I mean, that's David Chang, the famous chef. He His whole goal is to try to recreate childhood memories of eating. It's the movie Ratatouille. It's like eating a dish and you're like, my mom loves me. You know, that is, he's like, David Chang's like, I've, I've made stuff and watched Japanese businessmen cry while eating it because they it reminded them of their childhood and i and it's like that function of art whether food or music or film or something it's like it's able to get into that deep deep like conversation that deep deep experience and so um for me as an image maker uh i'm always trying to like get something that uh like the way that i approach things is to try to provide something that's familiar but it's altered a bit so that it's unfamiliar. I'm just like juxtaposing a few things together that I'm like, I know what that is. I don't know what that is. Or I, I know what these two things are, but when you put them together, I've never seen that before, which is essentially what creativity is, is like things you've never seen before. So um, yeah, in, in this, there's some of that play. Some of it's just like showing, like when you mentioned that the image of Mary, that was literally like witnessing my wife one morning, just getting out of bed being like, oh, my back hurts so bad, you know? And, and, uh, and just kind of going, I bet Mary had that same experience. Cause that's back pain is a lot of birth. You know, that's why when, especially when they get to the waddle, you know, it's, it's just a lot on there. So, uh, but in that, see, like I've made an image, but then that excavates that story out of me that my own experience, that whole thing. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I've often wondered, you know, as I, as I was reading through the book, thinking like, well, all the things I saw might happen to my wife, you know, wh why is it that we're afraid as Christians to attach any of those to Mary? Like, why, why, mm -hmm. why would we think? Because like Josh was saying earlier, the image that we think of when we think of Mary is the image where she's already given birth. Yeah. And so that's already done. And so she's back to the little tiny, you know, whatever, 15, 16 year old girl that she was before. Um, and she's no longer pregnant. She's no longer big. There's like all the mess is cleaned up. Like it's come and, and Jesus doesn't have the amniotic fluid on him anymore. Yeah. He's like perfectly <laughs> clean and everything's fine. And he didn't cry and, or anything like, so all that stuff is taken away. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, as I read through the book, it's a lot of those things, like those receptors started to connect for me, yeah. I think, which was That's really cool. good. That's cool. Um, but as I was reading through it, and I know you have only have a little bit of time left, so we want to be careful with your time. Um, but Josh and I realized really quickly that we wouldn't be able to like talk about well, let's talk about the breathe chapter and let, like what what impact because so more more this book is more than just like individual chapters. It's like a a broader, bigger picture. Mm -hmm. um, what? But at the same token, like what chapter would you say as you wrote it and as you drew the image, as you, as you illustrated this artwork, um, what would you say impacted you the most? Uh, mm. Like what brought you into deeper relationship with Emmanuel as you did this? 
in this thinking about Advent and all that? I, yeah. I mean, I have my favorites. Uh, I think the assumptions one, which is the, the cover of the book, this Mary kind of walking with these three circles. Uh, that one's assumptions because there's all these assumptions about Christmas. Like it never says that Mary rode on a donkey, but mostly we think that she did, or uh, there was no innkeeper. It just says there, like there was, there's no innkeeper mentioned. There's, it doesn't mention there's a star, but that doesn't mean there's a star overhead. And so, and going like, there's all these assumptions about Christmas and there's all these actually assumptions about spirituality, about what it's, who it happens to, who it's worthy for all this stuff. And, and the antidote to assumption is surprise. And, and what we see, like, let's look through all the surprises in this story and all the surprises in us. So that, I really love that one about, uh, because what, there's a lot of assumptions in our own religious practices that dismiss us from partaking in divine happenings. Um, I love the, like, the lamb who is, who was, and is to come, which is about kind of, my own kind of like story of God's intentionality, who was, who is, is the breathing meditation. And then who is to come is kind of like, you're going to die one day. And there's a Jesus, Jesus who is to come that we need to start building our relationship with because our main fear about death is dying, but also like are the forces on the other side benevolent, you know? And, and that's, and that's kind of a birth is like, if I'm birthed into another existence probably through the same vulnerable way I came through this one, will there be goodness on that side? You know, I don't want to get too much into that, but that's it's kind of a conversation we need to have with our own lives. Um, so I really love those. And then probably the one that really got me too was uh, meditating on the Magi, which was like the Magi, they didn't go on a journey because they're like, Oh, cool star. Let's go travel thousands of miles in heat and, marauder territory because we love stars what they saw was like their deepest desire was to know the creator of the universe and they saw a sign that they understood to be an invitation to come and find me and so what they what the star pointed in them was an inward pattern that was revealed in an outward pattern an interior desire was manifested in an outward display and how much in this kind of enchanted life that we find ourselves in is God also working in that? Like we've, like, I think science is wonderful and real as the signs say, but like also sometimes we, I feel like we can disenchant the world we live in by going, oh, there's an explanation for everything. And actually I think the, the world is a lot more enchanted than we actually really know. Um, it, it comes with a lot of paradox and that, uh, so there is like in the paradoxes, often situations can be explained a certain way, but they can also be explained or not explained another way. And we have to live in that paradox. And uh, and I think that's the that's the like goodness of uh, a spiritual life. And so uh, I those were some of like the kind of putting those together were some of the, the things I love the most. Yeah. In the book. Yeah, man, that's what's up. And guys, like this, well, I mean, we've barely scraped the surface. <laughs> of this. You can't explain every chapter. You guys right, gotta read it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it's so good, man. And I, I mean, even just like the artwork alone, like I've, I've grown more recently um, into a deeper appreciation uh, for artwork and like just uh, 
the the artwork in the book is just so beautiful and um like challenging and it, it's like holding up a mirror you know to yourself mm. and it's awesome so i i really enjoyed Great. it man and um yeah it's i don't know and i i love what you had to say there to wrap up one of the things that came to mind was uh, this idea you, you referenced Rural early, uh, earlier, and he, he likes to say that the, the fear of God and the fear of death are one and the same. Mm. Um, and you kind of touched on that there. And mm. so if we can get over one fear, then we'll get over the other. Um, yeah. And so I think it's, it's calling us into deeper relationship. Uh, and it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a necessary, uh, the poet David White says, we must have a conversation with our eventual disappearance. Mm. And, and that conversation is actually going to inform how we live the most. Right. Um, and I, I try to do that every week, actually, if not daily, have a little mini, maybe not so hardcore, but at least a mini conversation with that eventual disappearance. Yeah. It helps reorient me or, or uh, ground me or help me find that inner compass that I lose, can lose track of to go what's most important, what matters most. Yeah, sure. Sweet. Well, Scott, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much yeah. for agreeing to, to hang out with us today. Thank you for uh, your work and your vulnerability and transparency. I know that's what the, the book was about, but it also uh, just flows out of you so naturally. So uh, thank you so much for that. And um, welcome. yeah, this was great. We'll have to do it again sometime. Let's do it. Thanks for being great hosts and um, and having a great, uh, having a party on, yeah. online. It's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Where, where can people find you just if, if yeah. they want to connect? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Scott the Painter on all social media, mostly on Instagram, and uh, my website scotterickson.art.com. But and those are the places. The book is honestadvent.com, so just the book title.com, and you can find all the resources and things I made there, and find ways to purchase it through big retailers or through uh, local bookstores, which is also awesome. Yeah. Straight up, man. Well, thank you again. Thanks, guys. And uh, listeners, go ahead, pick up a copy. Check out Scott's artwork. It is fantastic and wonderful. (laughs) And you guys will be deeply blessed if you check it out. And uh, as always, go Caps. And go Blackhawks. And go Advent. (laughs) (laughs) Peace and love, guys.